for a moment uh, today. Uh, this, they say the most difficult time to preach is just before a meal and just after a meal. So now I get to do both, and uh, we won't keep you long, I promise. Uh, <clears throat> so four years ago, I was in a in a pastor's conference. They had a uh, and about a eight, roughly 85-year-old pastor had been pastoring for years. And uh, I'm careful. I'm, I'm saying this out of deep, pure respect, Pop. So, uh, But uh, they asked him something, uh, or he was, he was about to speak, and he said he learned from over the years of preaching that uh, that's what's really important for a good message are three things. You need a, a strong introduction uh, to, get the, to get the attention of the people and then you need a stirring conclusion uh, to encourage people to respond at the altar call. And then thirdly, you need to put those to close together as you possibly can. So that's what we'll do today. Uh, there's three verses in Psalm chapter 131. Each one of us teaches us something uh, to do with the Thanksgiving season. Uh, the story is told of a man. This is just a story. This is not Bible. But uh, the story is told of a man who found the place where Satan kept his seeds ready to be sown into the human heart. And uh, seeds of discouragement, he found, were more numerous than any other seeds that Satan had. I think we'd probably agree with that. Uh, discouragement is something that many of us battle uh, in the Christian life. And he found that those seeds could be grown almost anywhere. But when Satan was asked, he reluctantly admitted that there was one place that he could never get the seeds of discouragement to grow and that was in the heart of a thankful person. If we are thankful, it helps us to overcome so much in our Christian life when it comes to discouragement, to despair, to defeat, uh, to be thankful. In the heart of a Christian, thanksgiving should be a personal practice. Each one of us should be thankful uh, and express our thankfulness. It, it uh, ought to be a practice in your heart. And by the way, I say practice it is something we need to practice. It's not something that comes natural. Complaining comes natural because that feels so good. I mean, doesn't it? Uh, don't act more spiritual than me. Complaining feels good, doesn't it? I mean, to get up and, and uh, gripe and moan and whine, it just ah, does something to the inside to, to make you feel alive. But uh, thankfulness, though, takes practice. It takes some work. Thankfulness should be a personal practice. Thanksgiving should be a perpetual practice as well. Uh, we should continually express our thankfulness to God all the time in our life, especially when we feel ourselves slipping into discouragement or sadness or depression or anything like that. We ought to start being thankful. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done it several times in, in low points of my life or my ministry. I'm just having a bad day. Take out a piece of uh, legal, but just take out a notebook or a piece of paper and start writing what you're thankful for. And uh, soon it'll help you to overcome the discouraging things in your life. Because there's a lot of things we can complain about, but there's a lot more things we can be thankful for if we just open our eyes and look. So Thanksgiving should be a perpetual practice. also should be a purposeful practice. <clears throat> it is something that we are going to have to do on purpose. Thanksgiving, or a thankful heart, is not something that, again, is a natural thing for us. It is something we must purpose to do. If you ever have met one of those happy, super thankful people. It's not something that came natural to them. They worked on it. They, uh, they, they tried to foster that in their life, and we need to as well. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, easy is, again, uh, being critical. Critical is easy. 
Uh, being thankful is not easy, and so that's something that we need to work on. If you will be thankful in your life, it will be planned. If you will be a thankful person, it's going to be purposeful because it doesn't just happen. Now, looking at Psalm 131, <clears throat> we don't often say this, but we're going to read the whole chapter of Psalm 131, okay? Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. The psalm begins with these words, My heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. We see the first aspect of thanksgiving, have a thankful heart. We need humility. And it's interesting because only a truly humble man could write, Lord, my heart is not haughty. I am not proud. I am humble. Imagine broadcasting your own humility. It's like that old joke, uh, 10 ways, uh, the book, the guy wrote 10 ways to be as humble as I am. Amen. Uh, nobody's buying the book, okay, because we announce it then it no longer is really an attribute that we respect in someone. It's like the, I've used this before, but the pastor that his people were so thankful for his humility. It was just such a humble pastor. They gave him a pin, world's most humble pastor. And the next Sunday they took it away because he wore it. Uh, it's not, it's not as, uh, it's not as glorious anymore when somebody realizes it. Amen. So humility is something that, uh, normally it's either, uh, if you say you're a humble person, it's either, unusually and gloriously true, or it's an enormous amount of self-deception, which is often the case. Now, not many of us would begin a prayer this way. My heart is not haughty. It's almost like David is bragging on his own humility. Uh, Ted Turner said, if I only had a little humility, I'd be perfect. <laughs> uh, that's maybe how some of us feel. It's always tricky to talk about humility, to tell others how humble we are. All right, because humility is one of those things, if you have it, you don't know it. The most humble people think they're proud. The most proud people think they're humble. Isn't it weird how that works out? But true humility. How do you truly know when you're humble? If you're truly humble, will you even know it? It's been said that humility is a virtue, which when you think you have it, you've lost it. And so, but this is how David starts, or the psalmist starts here. My heart is not haughty. No, mine eyes, lofty. Now, we can be honest today. There's very little value put on humility in our society today. I'll give you one word, actually two words in one. Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Snapchat. That's as much as I know, so I'll stop there. But all of those different ones are designed to build ourselves up. They are designed to create a profile for ourselves to enlarge our footprint in other people's lives. Humility is not a part of our society today. And so, they don't, by the way, they don't give out merit badges for humility either, anywhere. Uh, humility is not something that's honored. From a young age, we are encouraged to climb the ladder, to push ahead, to get our own, to prove our success. But David here went on to describe humility and how he looked at his own limitations. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters. These are things beyond my ability to understand. Did you know there are some things just beyond your ability and my ability to understand? I, th I like the words, 
exercise myself in great matters. Just because it's something, I found this to be true in ministry, uh, Pastor Hall, I'm sure you have too, that just because somebody doesn't understand something doesn't keep them from pontificating, exercising in it sometimes. And uh, David said, here, look, there's some things, I, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things we just don't understand, and so uh, beyond our ability to understand, I don't exercise myself in great matters, nor in things too high for me. I don't worry about those things outside my purview, he's saying, basically. He doesn't involve himself in what he can't involve himself in. So humility in this context then simply means if you don't have all the answers, and you don't, then uh, you need to know your limits. The last is hard for people to grasp because we don't like to think about the fact that we have limits. The truth is we're very limited, but God is not limited. And so we need to put our faith and trust in Him. Happy is the man who knows his limits and within those limits does the very best that he can. David said, listen, I am going to... In fact, he told God, I'm a humble person. My heart is not haughty. By the way, when you tell God something about yourself, He knows whether it's true or not. Amen? You can tell a friend, you can tell somebody you just met something about yourself that might not be true, and they might believe you, but God knows. And so David is talking to somebody he knows, knows the truth. My heart is not haughty. Humility. Verse 2 brings us before a second quality that's helpful in thanksgiving, and that is contentment. Now he talks here, uh, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. The weaning of a child marks a new stage in growth. It symbolizes a move into independence. The child can now eat different foods, and it can be separated from its mother for longer periods of time uh, when it is weaned. It is growing up. This is the first stage, really, in the child growing up. To be weaned of something, don't miss this now, is to be separated from something that you could not previously live without or you felt like you could not live without it. David said, I've come to the place where things I thought I had to have, I don't need anymore. My soul's content. Uh, I've, I'm like a weaned child. Uh, most of us live on the opposite principle. We live in thinking that our happiness is determined, our contentment is determined on how much of our needs and desires are met, rather than weaning ourselves from them. And that's what David looked at here. <clears throat> By that standard, it's hard to ever really be content. If contentment uh, is measured uh, in, in the possession of the world's goods, then who can ever say, I have enough? Because there's never enough. Rockefeller, years ago, he was the first ever American billionaire, and because it was the early 1900s, uh, he's still considered the richest person in modern history. Rockefeller was asked one time, how much money is enough? You know his answer to that? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's the world's thought in it, is how much is enough? A little more? A little more? You know, most of us feel like we could be completely happy with not, we don't have to have a billion, we could just... You know, we, we'd be happy if we got 100,000 maybe or something like that. We'd, be in, we'd feel in great shape or, or whatever the case might be. It's different on different people. But to a billionaire, he needs a little more. To a multi-billionaire, he's a little more. To someone who has nothing, he's a little bit more. That's what our thought of happiness is in uh, society in, in when we think uh, physically, temporarily. This is the way most of us figure contentment. In our hearts, we say, I would be happy if I had that new car, that new job. Sometimes that new husband or that new wife, I'd be happy then. 
Truth is, you wouldn't be any happier. Why? Because you'd still be there. Uh, happiness doesn't come from your circumstances. It comes from, uh, it comes from within you. It's like people constantly, though, changing their circumstances, constantly changing their surroundings, thinking that they can find happiness. I love the way one person put it. You get sprayed by a skunk and change locations, you still stink. Okay? It's just common sense. You need to take care of the problem. You don't, you don't need to just uh, uh, try to think that you can change the surroundings around you. It's not going to make any difference inside. So you need to be, uh, it, it needs to be an inside thing here. So, no wonder though, Thanksgiving passes, Christmas is a disaster, no wonder we're never satisfied because instead of being weaned from the world, we're wedded to the world. We need to wean ourselves from some things. Look, you're not going to get happiness in this world. We need to separate from those things. David said, I'm like a weaned child, and he was content because of that. In any case, uh, we need to be weaned from the world. You want real heavenly peace? Separate those things of the world to your contentment. And then number three, hope. Verse 3, he says, Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. Hope. The word hope in the Hebrew means first to wait and then to wait expectantly. It's kind of a unique word used here. The expanded definition for the original word that's translated hope here means to wait on something because you know the thing you're waiting for will happen because you know what you're waiting on is trustworthy. It's the idea of having confidence in uh, what you hope in, or rather, for the Christian, who you hope in. You have a choice to make. Either you choose to live uh, like everyone else in this world and going after the things that the world is after, or you can choose to put your hope in the Lord. Uh, That's that's really the only choice for a Christian. Jesus was talking about this one day. He says, lay not up treasures on earth, thieves and rust and moths that come in, they destroy these things. I'm not quoting word for word there. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, and we need to have that mindset. We've got to put our hope in the Lord, not our hope in things on the earth here. You, uh, once a child is weaned, the apron strings have been cut. The child now rests on his mother's lap, not because he wants something, but he wants to be near his mother. And that's the, that's the difference now. And it's the same way for us. God wants us uh, not to have dependence on the things of the world, but to be depending and hoping in him. Not to be bribed into trusting him. It's easy to trust God if everything's going great. If you have a job, if you have a happy home, secure future, health. It's easy for people to trust God then. What will you do when you lose all those things? That's the whole point of the book of Job. Satan, he knows people. He knows people well. You know what Satan told God? You take those things away from him, and he'll curse you to your face. You know what? Satan's right for 99% of people. It wasn't, he, wasn't, he was mistaken about Job, but Job was an exception to the rule. Because typically you take everything from somebody, they will curse God, unfortunately. And so we need to, like we talked about this morning, when life tumbles in, we still need to be thankful. We still need to have our hope in the Lord. And that's what thankfulness is all about. It redirects our focus. It it, uh, is choosing to put your hope in God alone. It's believing that he has the answers to all of life's questions, especially ones you cannot understand. It's coming to a place in your life where you don't measure your spirituality by your prosperity. It's finding rest in your soul because you discover that the things you used to crave, you don't, they're not so important anymore. 
putting your hope in less. What he's talking about here, he's weaned. I'm like a weaned child. Now, hope in the Lord. As longer I live, the more futile I see that the things of this world are. I mean, it's nice, nice to have things, nice to have stuff. But they don't mean anything. Because, you know, the things I bought, accumulated 10, 20 years ago, if I have them now, they're broken. <laughs> I remember we bought our first video camera. And we were just shortly after we were married. and Because uh, I wanted to video our kids, so, you know, we carried it around on our shoulder like this. You remember those, right? And you had you had the VHS tapes that you put in them and, and uh, they'd hold a charge for about eight minutes and you could do your, your taping. And man, was I proud of that thing. It's worthless now. And, and everything else. You see, but now, right now, though, I have the iPhone 6. And we've moved beyond you. We're up at 211 now. It's no big deal. And by the way, 11 is going to be obscure in, in eight minutes too, you know. The things of this world don't last. We ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth, not because of what we have or what's in our pockets, because of who we have and what's in our future, not in our pockets. May our days be marked then with, with humility, contentment, and hope. Let's be thankful not only for the things we have, but for the things that we do not have. We don't think about that so much. There's a lot of things we don't have that we can be grateful for. We don't live in a communist country. We don't live in a third world poverty stricken country. We live in America. Amen. We can be thankful for some of these things. Let the people of God find hope in the Lord from here on out. That's what we need to do. Like David said here. So he's got humility. He's weaned himself from the things of the world and his hope is in the Lord. Not a not a long challenge, like I told you, but I hope that's a help to us and encouragement to us as we go into this season. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this.